Hi, and welcome to the Saturday, November 16th edition of the Land Grant Holy Land Tailgate Podcast. I'm your host, Matt Tamanini. Every Ohio State football game day this season, I will be kicking off your morning with all of the details that you need to be prepared for that day's contest, whether you're watching the game at the shoe, road tripping to an away game, or enjoying it from the comforts of your own home. However, I will not be doing it all on my own, as every week I will be joined by 610 WTVN sports reporter, the legendary Lori Schmidt, for her unique insights into the game with a peek under the hat. This afternoon, the second-ranked Ohio State Buckeyes, who are 9-0 on the season, will face their final cupcake as they take on the hapless 2-7 Rutgers Scarlet Knights. The game will kick off at 3.30 Eastern Time and will air on the Big Ten Network. On the call will be Brandon Gowden with Ohio State great James Laronitis providing color commentary and Elise Meneker reporting from the sidelines. As always, the game can be heard on both 97.1 FM and 1460 AM, where the voice of the Buckeyes' Paul Keels will be on the call, along with Ohio State legend Jim Lachey supplying color commentary and Matt Andrews on the sideline reporting. The temperature in Piscataway, New Jersey will be 39 degrees when the game kicks off, but will feel like 33 degrees. Also, the temperature will drop as the game goes on because the sun will set at a very early 4.40 p.m. in New Jersey. Fortunately, there are no signs of rain in the forecast. The line for the contest opened with Ohio State as 51.5 point favorites at Bovada, but has since moved up to 53.5. There are online sports books still offering 42 and a half, and according to Bill Landis from The Athletic, this is only the second time that Ohio State has been a 50-point favorite in this century, joining the 2013 game against Florida A&M. That's where Rutgers is right now, in the same breath as Florida A&M. The over-under for the game is at 62.5 points with Bovada, but 61.5 or 62 are available elsewhere if you look hard enough. Following last week's cover against Maryland, the Buckeyes are now 8-0 against the spread following their season-opening victory over Florida Atlantic, but they are 4-5-1 in terms of the over-under, mainly because their defense is too good to allow their opponents to contribute anything to that effort. Rutgers has only covered twice this season in their season opener against UMass and two weeks ago against Liberty when they were home underdogs but came away with a 44-34 victory. We will have more about the Rutgers record on the season shortly, but first, on Friday, the Ohio State Athletic Department released the Buckeyes depth chart and availability report, and it looks like anyone who has had a hangnail or perhaps even a stubbed toe is going to be sitting out this game. There are 14 Buckeyes ruled unavailable for the contest, including three starters, another backup who plays the majority of snaps at his position, and a handful of key backups as well. As I am sure you have heard by now, Chase Young will be missing his second straight game as a result of committing the heinous NCAA offense of having accepted a loan from a family friend and then paid it back shortly thereafter in order for his girlfriend to fly out to this past January's Rose Bowl. Oh, the horror. However, the best player in college football will be back for next weekend's game against Penn State and the stretch run towards a national championship. Other major contributors that will be out for Ohio State this week are starting defensive end Jonathan Cooper, wide receiver Austin Mack, middle linebacker Baron Browning, and offensive lineman Joshua Alabi. They will be joined by many of the usual suspects on the inactive list, and as well as a few young offensive linemen, wide receiver Cameron Babb, defensive tackle Noah Donald, wide receiver Elijah Gardner, safety Ronnie Hickman, offensive lineman Matthew Jones, offensive lineman Brett Novick, H-back senior captain CJ Saunders, and defensive tackle Teron Vincent. 
No one has been deemed a game-time decision for today's Rutgers game. Following the Scarlet Knights' feeding at the hands of Michigan in late September, head coach and former Ohio State defensive coordinator Chris Ash was fired and replaced by interim head coach Nunzio Campanelli. The Knights have gone 1-4 since the coaching change and are expected to announce that another former Ohio State defensive coordinator will be taking over as head coach for the 2020 season. That, of course, is Greg Schiano, who also happens to be the most successful Rutgers head coach in recent history, which is not saying much. The Scarlet Knights are a historically bad team this season, as they have scored just 14.7 points per game, which is 128th out of 130 FBS teams, while allowing 36.7 points to their opponents, which is 125th nationally. Not good numbers for a supposed Power 5 team. We will get into the numbers a bit more shortly, but instead of spending a ton of time on those types of things this week, since Rutgers is so bad, instead, after a short break, 610WTVN's Lori Schmidt and I will talk a bit about this game, but then we're going to get into some bigger picture topics for Ohio State football and the future of the Ryan Day-led program. All right, we are joined now by 610 WTVN's Lori Schmidt. Lori, happy Friday. Really happy to be joining you to discuss the living embodiment of the busiest fine gift in Rutgers football. <laughs> this is obviously the most highly anticipated game of the entire Ohio State, if nay, Big Ten season, uh, as the Ohio State Buckeyes take on the Rutgers Scarlet Knights. And it's obviously even more exciting because – <laughs> I can't even do this with a straight face, Lori. On Saturday, <laughs> Rutgers will be celebrating the 2000s, um, timed coincidentally with the impending hiring of former Ohio State defensive coordinator Greg Schiano to come back as the Rutgers head coach. Obviously, he had been the head coach at Rutgers from 2001 through 2011. A, and you note uh, that the decade that they are celebrating from 2000 to 2009 Rutgers had five winning seasons, five losing seasons, and were five games under 500. What a perfectly Rutgers thing to celebrate. They've been doing a uh, tribute to their history the entire season. Uh, I believe it's the 150th anniversary of Rutgers football. So they've been, they've been having somewhere. themed weekends. Yeah. ESPN might have brought it up a time or two. Once, once or twice, um, I think. Yeah. They've been having theme weekends every weekend, and, and like you said, this weekend they are celebrating the 2000s, uh, an era that Greg Schiano brought them unprecedented success, five games under 500. Um, so, so that is what they are celebrating this week. I am awfully disappointed that we didn't get the weekend that the Glee Club showed up to uh, Rutgers football. Wait, wait, explain that. What happened now? They had the Glee Club there. I guess it wouldn't have been last week because they were on a bye last week, but um, they had the Glee Club there to celebrate their birthday, I guess. I mean, Lori, I think if anybody knows you or me, uh, Glee Clubs are right up our alleys. So right. uh, I'm very disappointed that uh, we are not going to get to experience that firsthand. But uh, one thing that Ohio State is experiencing firsthand is the fact that they are like – 53 to 54, maybe 54 and a half point favorites, depending on where you're seeing that. Um, and even if they covered that spread, that's not a guarantee that it would be the largest margin of victory in an Ohio State Rutgers game. Yeah, they, they are expected to score a lot of points this weekend. So it's possible that this record falls by the wayside. But Ohio State, 
the largest margin of victory between them and Rutgers. And Ohio State obviously has a, a perfect record against the Scarlet Knights. But in 2016, to be specific, they scored 58 and didn't give up a point against Rutgers. So that is the largest fondly. margin of victory right there. Yeah. So <laughs> well, was that was that the road game where they kept the camera kept going to the cannon crew for Rutgers that was not firing that cannon <laughs> at all? It was so sad. It was so sad. I felt bad for those cannon people. That I did too. I and I'm fond of cannons. You're not and glee clubs. Yeah, Yo, you no, are. No, I fond am. Of I'm very yeah. fond. I'm very fond of cannons and glee clubs, and I just don't think we're going to see much of either this weekend. So. No. I, I'm very disappointed. Well, here's the thing. Uh, on Friday, we're recording Friday afternoon. Friday morning, the Ohio State Athletic Department released the depth chart and availability report. And there are a lot of players not playing. And now there's been a number of players who haven't played throughout the season. Uh, uh, C.J. Saunders, um, uh, Elijah Gardner, a bunch of other players who haven't played all year. But there have been basically anybody who has had any sort of you know, hangnail, stubbed toe. They are being held out this week. Jonathan Cooper, Baron Browning, Joshua Alibi, um, obviously Chase Young is out as well. And it just seems like, one, Ohio State has been incredibly fortunate this season in not having to deal with the injury bug, knock on wood, to make sure that that keeps going. But it seems like they are looking at this game and saying, all due respect, Rutgers. Anybody who has even the twinge of an injury, they're not playing this week. So there might be a little bit less of a chance to beat that 58-0 record, but maybe not. It, it does seem like they're, let's say, being extra cautious with injuries this week because not one player is listed as a game-time decision, and I think that's a first this season. They're basically saying... Like you said, if you've stubbed your toe, you really, really, we don't need you on the field this week. Uh, that hasn't impacted the Buckeyes this year because, as Jocelyn Wint put it this week, twos are playing like ones. So Ohio State has been extremely blessed in terms of avoiding injury. But even more than that, they have been gifted with incredible depth. Uh, we got to talk to some of those depth players this week, too. And... um I think OSU fans are going to like what they see in the future, not only from these guys on the field, obviously, but I think there's some, some really good personalities waiting in the wings, too. Yeah, I want to talk about that here in a second. But getting you, real quick, I want to hit on the fact that you guys did talk to a, a few of the depth players and probably the most, uh, I don't know, the one celebrating the opportunity to play at Rutgers more than anyone is backup quarterback Chris Chuganoff, who is a New Jersey native um, I know we have a, a story about him going back home and being able to play in front of family and friends this weekend. I, I believe you and the rest of the collected media got to talk with Chug earlier this week, correct? That is correct. He was he had a press conference and he was very fun to talk to. What kind of insights did he give at, into what it means for him to be able to go back home to New Jersey, play in Piscataway, and while obviously everyone kind of understands that he's the backup, he's the, you know, the very, very specifically number two quarterback on the team. But what did it mean he'd be to him that he's actually going to probably get at least a quarter of work in front of his family and friends? A lot of family and friends. He told us that he had the 60 to 70 people uh, asking him about the possibility of getting tickets. Uh, it, to be clear, they're not asking him to buy tickets for them. OSU's players are allotted, I think it's around four tickets 
per road game that they can distribute as they see fit. And there are plenty of other players who won't be uh, having family or friends attend this game so they can give their tickets, their allotment of their tickets to Chugs. Um, so he has been collecting this week and uh, he, he will be playing in front of those guys. And like you said, maybe getting some extended time, which is, which is good for him because he didn't necessarily anticipate that when he came to Ohio State, looked at the depth chart <laughs> had, that had Dwayne Haskins and, and Joe Burrow on it at the time and think, I'm going to get a lot of snaps with these guys. Um, he came here and extended his college football career as a grad transfer simply because he loves the feeling of throwing the perfect spiral, which he said this week. Uh, he also said he made some interesting comments, I think, in how much he's grown as a football player in just his fairly brief time here. Oh, absolutely. Said I, yeah, I think he said he put on 35 pounds of muscle. So, I mean, it's somewhere around there. So Coach Mick has done a great job with him and said that his uh, knowledge of the game has, and, and this is his word, skyrocketed. And he wasn't playing for a dumb coach before at West Virginia. He was playing for Dana Holgerson's kind of offense. So yeah. he's to have skyrocketed beyond that is quite the compliment to the OSU coaching staff. Yeah, and, and to be honest with you, I mean, we've noted it in our recaps and some other articles uh, throughout the season that – obviously there's going to be a significant drop-off between Justin Fields and if Chris Chuganoff has to end up coming in and, and playing if something happens to Fields. But he has looked pretty good. He's thrown some really nice balls um, and, and generally working with the number two offensive linemen and number two skill players. He's actually looked really good, and his numbers are, are fairly strong, even in mop-up garbage time duty. And, and to be clear, he's not necessarily facing number two defenses either. Correct, they, yes. Yeah, it's not like the other team is looking at OSU across the line and saying, "Okay, yeah, we give up too." Um, so they are uh, they are keeping their best players out there against him, and he's looked pretty good. Another player that I'd like to to uh, draw your attention to that's looking forward to this week that's a backup, Javante Jean Baptiste, because his high school coach is the interim coach at Rutgers, Coach oh, Nun. Coach Nunzio is that his name? Mm yeah, <laughs> I'm not going name, for the last. Name. I believe I'm not trying the last name. It's uh, even as yeah. an Italian myself, I'm not even going there. I think that's why they nickname him Coach Nun. Well, yeah, his first name I believe is Nunzio, which is yes, it is such a New Jersey Italian thing. But real quick before I get off, Chris Chuganoff, I said Chug, you said Chugs. Is has there been any official um, information from the player himself as to what his preferred nickname is? Ooh, not to my knowledge. The only the only thing that I learned about nicknames this week is that Chase Young's teammates don't actually call him Predator. Yeah, it's a little awkward. It's a little awkward to call someone Predator, I think. I, I think so, too. Yeah, apparently they call him Chase. I mean, that seems logical. <laughs> it, it does, but not I mean, as fun. Look, we are going to continue to post a different GIF of the Predator anytime Chase gets a sack throughout the season, which I expect uh -huh. to be another 20 or 30 times before the national championship game. So I'm going to keep doing mm -hmm. it. Whether his teammates call him the Predator or not is completely up to them. But 
Uh, anyway. Just so long as opponents keep calling him Mr. Young. Yeah. <laughs> or, I'm sorry, sir, please don't hurt me anymore. Yeah. <laughs> um, now, Lori, you mentioned the fact that you think that Ohio State fans are going to be very encouraged by not only the play on the field in the coming years, but the quality of person and the quality of of student athlete beyond just their performance on the field. And I thought it'd be important this week since it is Rutgers weekend. Let's be honest, Ohio State's going to win by 100 if they want to. But some of the big picture things that I think that now that we've had um, a, a good nine games of Ryan Day in complete control of the program, we ha- we kind of have an idea as to who he is as a head coach and how he is interacting with his players. I spoke to Bud Elliott, who is SB Nation's director of recruiting, before the season started, and he said from what recruits are telling him that even back in August that Ryan Day is very different from Urban Meyer, and it wasn't a better or worse thing. It was just that well, Urban Meyer was the consummate salesperson and he was always on ryan day chose to interact with recruits more on a personal level and obviously he could talk about the the on-field stuff and could do all of the pitching that he wanted but what was really selling recruits on ryan day was the fact that he just was himself and was genuinely interested in the players as a person and as a human being and obviously urban meyer made a big deal about that with the real life wednesdays but I wonder if there's been some sort of translation with how he approaches recruiting to how he's approached coaching his team now that he is the full-time head coach for the first time. We hear a lot of players talk about how their relationships, their rapport is different this year, that they are just simply put getting along better. Kevin Wilson talked about how position groups aren't walling themselves out from other position groups. They're integrating. You'll see the offensive linemen hanging out with other people, which is sort of unheard of in college football. Uh, These people tend to be insulated within their own units. Um, But this year, there's something different. There's, There's a chemistry. And I know that some of that is because these guys were collectively the subject of incoming fire. They sort of formed a a brotherhood in terms of they were in the foxhole together against the criticism this offseason. They were in that foxhole together over the speculation that Urban Meyer's departure would mean the team would fall apart. So they all dealt with that together, and that bonded them somewhat. And I'm not going to – and that's what Ryan Day says a lot of this, this group's rapport is about. Especially, oh, the, especially on the defensive about... side, where he said, yeah. you know, it, he tries not to say that it's the coaching changes or anything. It's the fact that they've heard all offseason how terrible the defense was, and that contributed to them playing as well as they are so far this year. There is one area where he has given his coaching staff credit, though, and that's in saying that the coaches love each other and that filters to the players, which I found a very interesting remark at the time, and I find it very interesting in in the players saying that, yeah, we we just get along better. And I think that part of that is that they're not as encouraged this year to look at their teammates as simultaneously their competition. They're not being told in practice, hey, you're a winner, you're a loser, you're a winner, you're a loser – you need to do everything as with competitive excellence. And if 
that means ripping your teammates face off to get to the football, do it. Um, I think they've been able to establish a little more brotherhood in practice, which is the right approach for this team that had endured the criticism that is fairly experienced, that has good leadership. I will be very interested to see because urban Meyer's approach, which was the whole, you know, you've got to be on fire all the time for this team. It was a little bit of a grind for a player, but it obviously established some long-term success. Ryan Day's approach, very different, perfect approach for this year. I'll be very interested to see if the approach works in the future. I think it can. Jim Trestle made it work, but I will be very interested to see if Ryan Day can also make it work. Yeah, that's a really interesting idea as Ryan Day has kept so much of what made Urban Meyer's program successful at Ohio State. Yep. You know, a lot of the infrastructure, a lot of the things that they do on a week-to-week basis, even things like you you were talking about the competitiveness and winners and losers, that they keep the champions of the game thing going and all that stuff. But it just seems like the feel inside the program, and we obviously don't know we're not in the program, but from what both coaches and players have said, it feels different. And that could just be a collection of the members of the team and how they interact together. There's a hundred or so players and that obviously changes from year to year, or it might just be Mm -hmm. a top down thing. And I'm very interested to see, I mean, over the years we've seen such a progression in what is the accepted and preferred manner of coaching of college athletes. Um, And Ryan day is very much on the forefront of, that new age, whether that if you want to bemoan the rise of Generation Z or whatever it is, because millennials are out of college at this point. But, you know, that's one thing. But Ryan Day seems to be the perfect style of coach for for this era of, of, of college football. Obviously, the Nick Saban style is very different and it works in Alabama. But I just feel like moving forward, who Ryan Day is seems to be perfectly modeled for this era in the sport that he coaches. He seems to be taking, and, and you know, all the caveats about uh, sample size here, because Rutgers is the team, the first team that he's ever played twice. Yeah. So we, you know, there's still a lot to be seen, but right now he seems to be taking the best qualities of Jim Trussell and urban Meyer two legends and merging them. Now, one area where we haven't, because he's not been here long enough, haven't seen is uh, his ability to innovate off the field like Urban Meyer did. Can he take the real life Wednesday type programs, make them better, come up with the, you know, a job fair, make it bigger and better. And the good news is he's still got Urban Meyer there to help him with that. But it, that's an area where I'm looking forward to seeing uh, how proficient, how good he is with that, because we we just haven't been able to see it yet. Yeah, I think I actually said something very similar to the combination of Urban and Trestle thing when I interviewed our, both of our former colleague uh, Kirk Herbstreet earlier this season, and, and I said the same thing. It, it just seems like he's got uh, the best of both worlds. But I do think he is set mm-hmm. up for long-term success because – you know, like you said, he still has, in terms of the things that happen off the field, he has the two most important people from the Urban Meyer era in Mark Pantone and Mickey Marotti. And unless Urban Meyer decides to get back into being a head coach, I don't see either of those two men leaving Ohio State anytime soon. They're both young. They both have 
anything they could possibly want professionally. And they're establishing themselves as the best in the business for what they do. So I, I think that because of the evolution of coaching, because of the stability that they've been able to transfer from program to program, from, from head coach to head coach, I, I really think without getting my Ohio State fan craziness going, I, I really feel like they're set up for long-term success that not only outlives this season, but outlives the current players and moves forward and forward. And I, I, you know, I really think that there's a possibility that Ryan Day's here for 10, 15, 20 years and is able to establish Ohio State as an even bigger national power than either Trestle, Urban Meyer ever were able to. I uh, tend to try to avoid making predictions about sure, the future, especially the long term future, because, you know, the weatherman can't even get two days uh, outright. <laughs> You're a reporter. Um, I'm a fan. I'm allowed. You don't yeah. have to. I'm a fan. Predict I'm allowed, Lori. Don't take that away from me. Predicting the future is just harder than it sounds, as silly as that sounds. But, yeah, I can tell you what I'm going to be interested in seeing. And, yes, I, I really like the subject that you bring up. Is this Ryan Day or is this a phenomena bigger than Ryan Day? Are we going to see more Dabo Swinney's of the world? Uh, are we going to or are we going to see people go back to the well that has worked so well in the Nick Saban, Urban Meyer style of coaching? Because those guys are all fire, very little warmth. Hmm. I've never heard that saying before. I like that a lot, though. I mean, I think Urban Meyer had a good relationship with his players and it, it seemed obvious. Oh, I do, too. It, you know, just by the fact that they, um, you, you know, he was such a good recruiter. You can't be that good of a recruiter and not ha be able to establish relationships. But it is a very different approach when, you know, Ryan it's Day has said. a lot on respect. Yeah. And Ryan Day has said. Like he a lot wants of his, respect. Yeah. He said he wants his office to be like the family room of, of the team. He wants them to come in and hang out and talk to him and, and tell him if there's problems. Like, I think there's just a difference uh, with that style of coaching, and it's one that I I think is going to be you're going to see it a lot more uh, over the years as this current generation, you know, starts to retire. And and obviously there's always going to be those hard nosed old school coaches, but I think they're going to be much harder to maintain success when the players are looking for something different uh, in the future. So I, I'm very excited for the future and, and to see what happens. This game against Rutgers. Not so much. I mean, I'm in the New York City area, and I'm, I mean, I, I'm not going to go. I, I could if I wanted to, but I'm not even going to make the trek to Piscataway to go. But um, either way, I, 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 I think the future is very bright for Ohio State, but especially uh, this season, things seem to be really gelling well. Whether that's camaraderie, coaching, or whatever it is, but this seems to be a special year for this crew. This definitely seems to be of all the teams I've covered, and I've been covering the team for quite a while. I have covered national championship teams and I have never seen a team that was so well-rounded as this one. Um, I've, I've seen teams with similar rapport. I, I may have seen teams even with better defense because I was here for that 2002 season. I have never seen a team where I'm, I'm looking for something and saying, okay, that's going to be the thing if they lose, that's going to trip them up and failing to come up with something. Uh, it's been a very special team in that way. I like that you talk about the office being the, the team's living room because I here want to give a, a shout out to Amy Nickel. She is uh, one of the staffers at OSU. I, I just ran into her this week and was complimenting some of her decor choices for Ryan Day's office because <laughs> she had made it feel so homey. 
Yeah, that's I mean, it's it's exactly right. I mean, and I think that those little things make a difference in the way people feel around the head coach. The head coach, by the virtue of that position, doesn't always get the opportunity to interact with players, and because they are so busy, and they're you know they they're the CEO and they manage the coaches who interact with the players. And I think it's a big deal when you're able to get a head coach who is obviously still very involved with the day to day stuff as he's calling plays, but is also willing and open to interact with his players um, or her players. If you're it's not just football specific, but you know to be able to do that on a uh, you know, on a person, human to human basis. Absolutely. And like you said, that's probably more where coaching is going in the future because of what young people expect, demand, uh, want in their coaches. And in some ways, recruiting makes this sort of a buyer's market in terms mm-hmm. of coaching style. Yeah. All right. One last question I have to ask. Um, who was the person who tipped off Ohio State about Chase Young? Uh, it was uh, definitely the, the whistleblower that we're talking about now. <laughs> yes, this is the I, only I, I whistleblower hear, hear. in the news. That only one that matters right now. <laughs> A- absolutely, I, I I know that it's. I will tell you who it's not, um, because I, I've seen video evidence of this. It's not Keandre Jones, people. Uh, no. There, there was this. There was this scene after I OSU it, yeah. beat Maryland, and it was great. I got to give a shout out to Tony Gerdeman and uh, Colin Haas who got video of this. Um, Keandre was hanging out with his old teammates after that game and telling them, you know, I'm proud of you all, but now go in the natty. And in Colin's video in particular, you can actually hear one of the players say, Hey, I heard you was a snitch. Um, they're not going to joke about that. If there is any level of truth to that. So let's just strike Keandre Jones off our list of suspects as we go all clue here. Um, so, so it wasn't the former linebacker in the library with a candlestick is what you're saying. It was definitely not <laughs> in the library with a candlestick. Yeah. Gene Smith earlier this week said unprompted that it was not anyone from Maryland. It was not anyone from Penn state and the, tip or blown whistle or whatever you want to say did come to Ohio State not to the NCAA not to the Big Ten I don't know if that makes any difference as to who it is I don't know that we'll ever know and I don't know that it really matters at this point I mean obviously there's going to be a certain number of people who want to know from the conspiracy theory um, maybe even vengeance perspective but in the big picture of what's going to happen on the field it doesn't matter Um, it did but it is curious I, I think it is interesting that this came to light in the middle of the season you know uh, 10 months after it happened and what, you know, five, six, seven months after the loan was paid back. But it, it is interesting, but I don't know that we're ever going to get that information. You say it doesn't matter, but it does. I tell you what, it does matter to some people. For instance, sure. Maryland, they are maintaining that they lost a recruit because of the rumors that they were involved. So they very much, you say that uh, Smith made his comment unprompted and to the extent that he wasn't answering a question, Totally agree. But um, he wasn't doing it unprompted in that he was trying to exonerate a couple of the sources of uh, speculation because the the consequences for them have not been good. Um, And and clearly, if they aren't the source of the tip, unfairly, the consequences haven't been good for them. 
Yeah, uh, yeah. They, I think a lot of people have surmised that maybe they weren't thinking that Keandre Jones was the snitch himself, but Maryland the team was, especially because I believe Chase Young's high school coach is now an assistant coach yes. on the Maryland squad. Um, there are like 12 former players that went to Chase Young's high school. Um, so there's obviously going to be those connections, and that makes an easy assumption that it comes out the week before they play them. If you're trying to draw lines or connect red yarn to different you know, push pins on your board, that's that makes sense that that could happen. But uh, Gene Smith was very much adamant that it was not anyone from the Michigan or from the it was very much not anyone from the Maryland program. So. Or Penn State or Michigan, and yes. I will say as much as Maryland is maintaining that they've lost a recruit because of uh, this rumor, I also think there's a possibility that they lost this group because they were down 42 nothing at halftime. Yes. So I, I tend I, to think that's I'm, what I'm going to, Yeah, I think that might have something to do with it, too. Yeah, and they have not recruited the DMV area well, even though they have a new head coach, and generally in the first year of head coaches, they're able to kind of rejuvenate recruiting um, because of the excitement and the potential, and that has not happened. And I think that losing a three-star offensive lineman in the middle of the game via tweet is probably has more to do with what is being seen on the field rather than any presumed you know, dime being dropped on somebody from the area. Well, I, and I, I like that what you just said because it sort of brings us back to the subject that we started with. Uh, Maryland is having trouble recruiting in their, their area, and Rutgers, too, is like water, water everywhere without a drop to drink. Yeah. The, uh, the, the recruiting in that area, the, the recruits in that area, rather, have been pretty darn strong, and yet Rutgers has not seen the boost from it which means that we are in for a very long game, I think, this weekend. Yeah, and to wrap things up here, one, very nice job quoting the rhyme of the ancient mariner. And two, um, Ryan Day talked about the fact that that Jeff Halfley has been doing a lot of, of the recruiting in the New Jersey area and, and talked about how he's been able to maintain some uh, – relationships there. Um, I, th I believe he was an assistant coach at, at Rutgers at one point under Greg Schiano, and he, he, he sees very good things in the future for Ohio State's recruiting of the New Jersey area, specifically because Jeff Halfley is on the staff and a part of that uh, and, and, and has connections in that part of the country. And Jeff Halfley, we talked about relationships earlier today. Jeff Halfley is special at that. He is he is special at that. And I think that's one reason that he and Ryan Day have meshed so darn well. They they like working with each other. They have similar strengths in their in their ability to relate to people. Um I will be interested to see how long Jeff Halfley is here because he's got <laughs> upside out to Wazoo. Um, but he really, really likes working with Ryan Day. So as talented as he is. I wouldn't rule him out staying a little while, and that could be a really, really positive thing for OSU. Yeah, and one of the things that Ryan said when he got here as the offensive coordinator was that he'd moved so many times in his coaching career. He's got young kids. He wants to stay in a place where he can be here for a while. And he said, I believe he said he bought a house for the first time in his coaching career rather than renting because he planned on setting down roots. Now, Jeff Halfley hasn't said necessarily those exact same things, but he said some of them. I mean, he said some of the fact, the fact that he's, his kids mm -hmm. are of school age. Um, they want to have a place where they can be home and he loves being here. So 
you know, especially with the, the relationship that Day and Halfley have going back to the days when they were doing Boston College camps together, it very much could be a, a situation where maybe Greg Madison retires after a few years. Jeff Halfley becomes the full time defensive coordinator, the primary defensive coordinator, gives him a little boost in money, gives him a little bit more notoriety. And then, you know, he stays around for five years rather than the two that I think he could leave after this year or next year and get a, a big time job. But Unless it's, I mean, I just, unless he's going to be a head coach, I don't know what a better opportunity for him to be a defensive coordinator is going to be when you consider all of the off field stuff as well as the on field. Absolutely. And there are people who talk about his NFL background as if he is inevitably headed back to the pros, but he has said really his heart is in college ball. Um, He's had sort of a a migratory career. So I, I don't know how much we want to put into where he says his heart is because he hasn't found the landing place for it yet. But if there is one and it's Columbus, I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah. And he got into the NFL, I think because he was a member of Greg Shiano's coaching staff at Rutgers and went with him to Tampa mm-hmm. Bay. So it's not like he was specifically going out and looking for an NFL job. He went with his head coach. So anyway, we are so far off the top of Rutgers, Lori, but I appreciate all this. I think this is a great week. But we're celebrating of... the 2000s now. Yeah, we are celebrating the 2000s. Well, Lori, this was great. Um, and it was longer than normal, which means I don't have to talk as much about the Rutgers game. So I appreciate that more than you can possibly know. Um, but I'm very much looking forward to our discussion a week from today when we can talk about Penn State. And I think that game is going to be super, super interesting, and I think it has a lot more ramifications than just Ohio State's ability to make the playoffs. I think that there's a lot more going on in this game that could impact college football on a national level. So um, rest up this week. Since the, the team's going to be out of town, you can sit back in the studio and push buttons and get ready to bring it hard next week for Penn State, Ohio State. Absolutely. I will stay hydrated and get some rest. Don't forget to tune in to the best Buckeye coverage on your radio dial on 610 WTVN before and after the game. We will be back with a look inside the numbers and a prediction after this quick break. Like with Maryland last week, Ohio State is 5-0 all-time against Rutgers, with all five games coming since the opponent joined the Big Ten Conference in 2014. And all five games against the Scarlet Knights have been massive blowouts. Ohio State has only failed to score 50 points against Rutgers once, and that was in 2015, when they scored 49 in their second all-time meeting. That is also the last time that the Buckeyes have allowed a touchdown against Rutgers, a fact that I have no doubt that the defensive players and coaching staff are well aware of. OSU shut Rutgers out in 2016 and 2017 and surrendered a single field goal in last year's game. Overall, Ohio State has outscored Rutgers 271-27. to Let me say that in a different way. In the entire, albeit short, history of Ohio State and Rutgers on-field football matchups, the Buckeyes have outscored the Knights by a multiple of 10. Just ludicrous, uh, if you think about it and put that in perspective. Looking at the analytics, Ohio State remained number one in ESPN's Bill Conley's SP Plus Advanced Analytics rankings and are still the only team in college football with both their offensive and defensive units in the top five. The offense is fourth and the defense is first. Clemson is close, however, with their offense and defense coming in sixth and third, respectively. Ohio State's special teams are 16th in the country. SP Plus has Rutgers at number 107, and their offense coming in at 109th, and defense at 86th. 
The analytics system has Ohio State with a 100% chance to win the game, which is absolutely bonkers in the world of probability. And Bill C. projects the Buckeyes to win by a score of 49-3. Now, like Vegas, evidenced by OSU's eight straight covers, SP Plus hasn't yet caught up to just how dominant Ohio State has been this season, so we will see if they can again beat the spread and the SP Plus projection. Now, normally I would get into some Rutgers stats both as a team and individually at this point in the show, but that seems cruel and a bit piling on at this point, so I'll just give you the thumbnail version. Rutgers has started three different quarterbacks on the season, and every single one of them has exactly twice as many interceptions thrown as they have touchdowns thrown. Isaiah Pacheco is the team's leading rusher with 547 yards on 124 carries for 4.4 yards per carry average. And Bo Melton is the team's leading receiver, but that's only because Raheem Blackshear decided to redshirt this year after putting up 310 yards receiving in the first four games. Anyway, that's enough of that. Let's move on. Uh, Before I get to my prediction, though, I want to run through the game times for some of the biggest non-Buckeye contests of the day in what is shaping up to be one of the most jam-packed Saturdays of the season. At noon on ABC, Ohio State's next opponent, the number 9 Penn State Nittany Lions, will host the surging and impressive Indiana Hoosiers in what could be a look-ahead game. Fox's big noon Saturday game might just be a battle for Mark D'Antonio's job as Michigan State travels to Ann Arbor to take on the number 15 Michigan Wolverines. At 2.30 on NBC, number 23 Navy will look to upset number 16 Notre Dame in South Bend. At 3.30, while the Buckeyes are playing on BTN, number 4 Georgia will head to the Plains to take on number 12 Auburn. At 4 on Fox, number 8 Minnesota will visit number 20 Iowa. If the Gophers are able to win and Wisconsin somehow loses to Nebraska, PJ Flex team will secure the Big Ten West Division title and the right to lose to Ohio State in the conference championship game. Then at 7.30 on ABC, number 10 Oklahoma will visit undefeated and 13th ranked Baylor. Lots of great football today, so make sure that you are staying hydrated. And don't forget to take some of those baby aspirin so you don't end up getting blood clots from sitting on the couch for too long. Okay, back to Ohio State. I imagine that this game will play out very much like last week's against Maryland. I can't see the starters playing less than one half out of respect for the game, but assuming that things go as I think they will, I also don't see them playing much longer than that as well. I will predict that Fields will throw for 200 yards and account for four total touchdowns for the second week in a row, and that J.K. Dobbins will rush for 100 yards and two scores, but that the day will belong to New Jersey native Chris Chuganoff, whether that's Chugs or Chug, we don't know yet, um, who will throw for three touchdowns on his own during his homecoming. I have Ohio State 80, Rutgers nil, and that is only vaguely facetious. All right, that's all we have for today. As always, Land Grant Holy Land will have you covered before, during, and after the game. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter at LandGrant33, your social media home for all of Land Grant Holy Land's Ohio State news, analysis, and sarcasm. You can follow our friend Lori Schmidt on Twitter at Lori Schmidt and her station at 610 WTVN News. I'm on Twitter at Matt as well. And if you are not already, please subscribe to Land Grant Holy Land's one-of-a-kind network of podcasts where we not only bring you unique news, interviews, and analysis, but we've also got perspectives on sports and the Buckeyes unlike any other in the OSU podcast universe. So with all of that out of the way, there's only one thing left to say. Go Bucks.